Thank you, Rick, for those kind words of introduction. Uh, of course, as is the custom, though it's in third person, I wrote that myself. Um, for some reason, Rick left out the bits I put in about me being tall, bald, and handsome. It is a privilege to be here uh, in this capacity with you today and to open God's Word together with you. And I want to read our passage from 2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. One of the most famous conversions in the history of Christianity happened in the 4th century when St. Augustine came to faith. He writes about it quite candidly in his Confessions, which is his spiritual autobiography. And uh, as it turns out, he wasn't always so much of a saint. Uh, He explains how in his late teens he moved to the city of Carthage. And he describes himself like this, or the situation like this. A cauldron of unholy loves bubbled up all around me. I fell precipitately into the love in which I longed to be ensnared and secretly arrived at the bond of enjoying. But by the time he was in his early 30s, he was a broken man, spiritually lost, and he sat in a garden one day, weeping uncontrollably, he says, in his condition, 
when he heard what he said sounded like the voice of a child in a neighboring yard repeating a phrase over and over, take up and read, take up and read. And he knew what to do. He found a copy of the scriptures that weren't too far away and he picked it up and he opened and read the first verse that his eyes came upon. The Apostle Paul speaking in Romans 13 where he says, let us walk properly as in the daytime not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And in that moment, he explains, he experienced a profound spiritual transformation that began there and continued through the rest of his life. Now, what happened to Augustine that day is something that has happened to countless others through the ages and in the world today and to many in this room here and, and could happen to you as well. And none of us is going to be as famous as St. Augustine and it probably won't happen or hasn't happened in a garden and hearing these child's words and with the same scripture. But the Bible Augustine read is the same Bible that we read. It has the same power now as it did then to transform our lives to bring us to jesus and to grow us in him and so i want to focus this morning on the topic of scripture uh, paul paul dunk i realize it's a little confusing this is the first time i filled in for a pastor paul and preached from an epistle of paul i should be clear who i'm referring to in most cases um, if not the really important things are from the apostle paul <laughs> and our, our esteemed paul dunk won't mind me saying that but um paul dunk was doing a short series in the month of june on means of grace and one of those messages focused on the bible and how god works in us as we meditate on scripture and today i want to look a little more closely at the doctrine of scripture what we understand the Bible to be. We inhabit an evangelical tradition here with a high view of Scripture. And it's important for us from time to time to, to revisit, to um, not to necessarily rework, but to know what we believe and why. But the goal here is not simply for a deeper understanding of the doctrine of Scripture, but so that appreciating what the Bible is, that you'd be motivated to more deeply engaging and experience its life-changing message. Second Timothy, the passage I read, is one of the most important passages in the Bible about the Bible. And we're going to be focusing mainly on the last few verses, verses 13, uh, 14 to 17. But I wanted to read the whole passage to give you a sense of the context in which Paul's statements about the Bible emerge. He, paints a, an ominous picture of these dark times that are coming on the world and will even infiltrate the church in some places and in some ways. But he says, effectively, to Timothy and ultimately to us, God hasn't left us to this dark situation. God has provided a light. He has pointed a way. And then he says what he says about the nature and the purpose and power of Scripture. So that's what we want to look at this morning. What is the Bible and its essential nature? And what is its purpose? What does it aim to do? What can it do in our lives? 
First, what is the Bible? Well, we could answer simply, it's a collection of ancient religious writings coming out of ancient Israel and the early Christian church, that is true. But isn't it more than that? In recent years, many Christians have undergone a, a process of deconstruction. Some refer to themselves now as ex-evangelicals. And I've listened to many of these stories with, with sympathy for much of um, the, what's driving some people to this point, but one common element I've noticed in these stories is uh, often a changed view of what Scripture is. And where many formerly believed the Bible is God's Word, now they've come to see it as... Um, Maybe important, maybe inspirational in some way, but it's just an ancient collection of human reflection on God and on religion. This is not how the Bible writers themselves understood it, or the early church, or the majority of the church through history. And a major reason for that is because of the kind of thing that Paul says right here, in 2 Timothy 3.16, where he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. Scripture, in the first place, he would be referring to the Old Testament. This is the Bible that Jesus, or, yeah, Jesus and Paul and Timothy, that they were raised on. What we would call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. But even in the time that Paul's writing, in the early church, they already had a sense that the scope of Scripture was expanding. Jesus had fulfilled the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant had been inaugurated, and with this came new writings to capture this revelation. Jesus promised his specially called apostles the Spirit would lead them into all truth, and some of them, or their close associates, left writings that came to be regarded by the church as part of the scriptures. And even Peter in his second epistle, he refers to Paul's writings and the other scriptures. So you see, even in the Bible times, Paul's writings, that, that hints at least, that Paul's writings were being seen as scripture. So the point being that within the first few centuries of the church, and it began early, we as a church came to a point of seeing all 66 books of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, as what constitutes Holy Scripture. And then we can apply this statement Paul makes to the whole thing, that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Some translations say all Scripture is inspired by God, and it's from this verse and a couple others that we get the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. The word in question, the key word, literally is God-breathed. That's the claim made about the Bible. Now, what does this mean? I mean, it's obviously mysterious uh, to a large degree what it means to say that these words on the page are God-breathed. At the very least, it implies or it means that this is no merely human document. It is truly human. It really is a human book. And God didn't inspire the Bible in some mechanical way, but in an organic way. He used real people and their personalities and their style comes through in all of the scriptures. 
It's not as though God just dictated the whole thing. Sometimes a writer would say they received a word from the Lord and they wrote it down or saw a vision and later wrote it down. Sometimes, they, or a lot of times, they wrote letters. Or remember Luke saying he investigated the whole matter and he wrote up an orderly account. There are songs, poems, sermons. So the Bible is a human document. Just not a merely human document. At a deeper level, it is the very word of God. This is how Jesus viewed the matter. When he really wanted to settle the truth of a matter, he would appeal to Scripture with those words he often repeated. It is written. And we follow him when we hold to this view of Scripture. It is human, yes, fully, but it is divine in origin. It is God's word. And Paul says all of Scripture is inspired. And this gives us the doctrine of the plenary inspiration of Scripture. You know, you go to a conference and there are a bunch of breakout sessions. And, and then there's the one, the main session where the whole group gathers together. That's called the plenary session. And plenary inspiration of Scripture means the whole thing is inspired. From Genesis to Revelation, the Song of Songs and the Book of Romans, all breathed out by God. That doesn't mean that every part of Scripture is equally weighty in every situation or equally clear. If, if someone was being sent to the proverbial desert, deserted island and you could only send them with one part of the Bible, you'd probably be better to send them with Ephesians than Ecclesiastes. Or if you were exploring the faith here and asked, where should I begin? I'd probably encourage you to start with the Gospel of Mark or Ephesians rather than the book of Leviticus. But ultimately, no one's going to the <laughs> that deserted island. And ultimately, it is the whole of Scripture that is God's word to us. And every part in some way contributes to the truth, the message that God is communicating to us. Now, why use these terms like plenary, inspiration of Scripture, um, I, I'm not just trying to furnish you with fancy terms to use at a party and impress people. Um, trust me, it doesn't work. <laughs> but you'll come across words like these, and they are helpful in, in being able to articulate and understand for yourself what the church believes about Scripture. And even more importantly, or better the goal of this understanding is not just cognitive it's so that we would understand what God wants to do through his word in light of its nature because this is God's inspired word he has a purpose to bring us to Jesus through it and to build us up in him It's through the Bible that God brings you to Jesus, through the message of the Bible. Remember what happened to Augustine. Because the Bible is God's speech. When God speaks, worlds come into being. Paul says to Timothy, From infancy you have known the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
And that's a really cool way of saying that the message in Scripture can bring you to new life in Christ. Because biblical wisdom, and Paul will be, Pastor Paul will be preaching on various themes related to biblical wisdom through the rest of the summer. And wisdom is never in, about, like biblically speaking, just about getting more intelligent, better at philosophy or solving riddles. It's about knowing God's truth and being able to apply it to godly living. And getting wise for salvation means learning God's plan of salvation and experiencing it personally. And this plan of salvation is taught through Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, from the creation to the fall, to the redemption that we have through the death and resurrection of Jesus, to the restoration of all things under the rule of Christ. And the, we are taught and can learn this doctrine of salvation Sometimes in very simple, compact statements, as in 2 Corinthians 5.21, a favorite of, of mine and many, where Paul says, For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Sometimes it comes to us in those simple, profound statements. But Jesus is revealed in myriad ways throughout all of Scripture. And the Bible is like an ocean calling us to dive in and ex explore its depths. And we're not going to explore those depths here, but I, I hope that you're motivated to dive in more deeply for that exploration. Understanding what the nature and the purpose of this word is. So the Bible teaches us God's plan of salvation, but also calls us to believe it, not just to know it. In this passage, Paul says to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have believed, knowing and believing. Maybe you're learning that, this faith for the first time right now. Maybe like Timothy, you've known the, the sacred writings from infancy and you were raised in a Christian home. You, maybe you were catechized and maybe you believe and maybe you don't yet believe. Even Augustine, his mother, Monica, raised him from a young age learning the Christian faith. It, it wasn't until later that he came to believe it personally. And so for all of us, we need to learn it, but we're also called to faith. To receive Jesus by faith as our Savior. In an initial way, there's a point where we need to cross the line and even bringing our remaining doubts and uncertainties and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. You're my Savior. But then we don't just leave him behind. and then We come to believe in him in deeper and deeper ways and know him more and more as we continue on in the Christian life. Becoming truly wise for salvation. And not only does God bring us to Jesus through the Word, He also builds you up in Jesus through the Word. Paul says that all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training 
in righteousness. This God-breathed word shapes our beliefs and shapes our living. Graciously tearing down and building up. That's why you have the teaching and the reproof, the correction and the training in righteousness. And also, ultimately, we need to know God's gracious no and God's gracious yes, which is always intended for our good. It's the Bible that has the, the authority and the power to shape what we believe about God. That God is the triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, creator, sustainer, judge, and Savior. That salvation is by grace through faith. It is a gift of God. It's not by work so that no one can boast. We know that through the Bible, which also reproves untruths about God that would, say, diminish the, the divinity of Jesus, say he's less than God, or that the Holy Spirit's not a person, or that our salvation is by, by our works and best efforts rather than by God's grace through faith. And similarly, with our, with our living, with our attitudes and our actions, the Bible corrects and it trains us in righteousness. Calls us to put on that righteousness that we've received freely as a gift, to put on Christ and to pursue the ways of Jesus for the flourishing of our lives and the lives of those around us, our loved ones, our communities, to pursue love and kindness and goodness and hospitality and generosity, faithfulness and holiness, live lives of, of prayer and witness. And in the same word, corrects us. There's a corrective training calling us to put to death our sins, hatred and violence, self-centeredness, lust, greed, coveting. And thank God, the same Bible promises, promises us and assures us there is abundance of grace, a super abundance of grace to forgive us our sins when we fail. And we do. But God aims to grow you. You're thinking. You're living. And he does so through the word that he has breathed out. Because the truth is, something will shape you. There are influences and influencers all around us that shape the way we think and live. I read an article recently called Saturated by Our Surroundings, and in it the author quoted another author who said, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And the author expands this to say, you're the average of the five mediums you spend the most time with. See, God's word calls us to not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the primary medium God uses to transform us is his word. As we read it, meditate on it, learn it, and as the Holy Spirit illumines and applies it in our lives as we follow Jesus. God's word has the authority and the power to shape our thinking and our living. And the bottom line again in all of this, is that this book is no ordinary book. 
God speaks here. And he's speaking through the Bible to bring you to Jesus and to build you up in him. So then how should we respond? What should you do if this is true? Well, let's go back to Augustine in the garden. Take up and read. Take up and read. Alone with a few friends, in a small group setting, sitting here under the preaching of the word each week, hearing as also a form of reading and taking in the word. Maybe you're somebody and you're not quite sure yet what this Bible really is. Or you're somebody, and you would affirm this Bible is Holy Scripture. It is God's Word, but it's collecting dust on a shelf in your house. Or you're somebody who reads it quite diligently. You might even follow a reading plan and tick those boxes, and that's a wonderful thing to do. But wherever your starting point is today, I encourage you, take up and read. Open this book in prayerful pursuit of the face of Jesus, confident that you will meet him here in these God-breathed words. Let's pray. O Lord, open our eyes, the eyes of our spirits, that we would see wonderful things from your word. Holy Spirit, show us Jesus. Bring us to him again and again. Amen. Thank you, Mike, for bringing us God's word and for reinforcing the beauty of Scripture and uh, encouragement to take up and read. Amen to that. I'll now invite those who are serving Lord's Supper to come forward. The Lord's Supper communion table is open to all who are baptized and have professed their faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're visiting with us today and have done so, please feel welcome to join us. Children who are baptized and who have professed their faith in an age-appropriate way are also welcome to participate. If you have little ones who are baptized but who are not yet able to understand their need for forgiveness of sin and gratitude for God's grace, then those little ones should wait. And if you're here this morning exploring the Christian faith but have not yet professed faith in Christ, we would ask you to wait. It's not unusual to have people remain sitting while the congregation comes up to receive the bread and the cup. We would invite you to consider the gospel message you have heard today and to respond. Those who come to the faith are welcomed in baptism, and baptism is a sign that you are God's child. The Lord's table is a sign that as God's child, your sins are forgiven. And so church, let's form two lines and come forward to receive the bread and the cup, and then return to your seats and we'll eat and drink together.